everyone wants to make the most of their life. Pastor and teacher Dr. Bill Galarakis of Columbia Road Baptist Church guides us into that focused and meaningful Christian life that will make a difference today and for eternity. Get ready for our next episode of Changing Lives, Changing Eternities. Here's Pastor Bill. Welcome and hello. If you're here, you probably like the Bible. I imagine that most people tuning into a podcast about the Christian life are going to be people of God's Word. But let me ask you a question. Which Bible do you have in front of you? Perhaps if you're not a native English speaker, you have one of the different versions in your own heart language in front of you. But if you are an English-speaking person and you live in the English-speaking part of the world, what kind of Bible do you have in front of you? There's a number of them that you could have. Uh, Perhaps you have an an ESV, the English Standard Version, or perhaps you have the HCSB or just the CSB, a Christian Standard Bible. Maybe you are an old-timey person like me and you have a King James in front of you or a, a New King James or the Message or the NIV. There's a whole host of them that are out there now. And it seems like more and more are being published. And the question is, which one should you be using? Now, I came into this in an early time in my Christian life because I went to a church that only taught and preached out of the King James Version of the Bible, and I had a friend who was a much more dedicated believer than I was, and he used the NIV, and he challenged me often when I said, well, we ought to be using the King James, and he said, well, why ought we be using the King James? And I said, because my pastor said so. And I, that wasn't good enough for me at that time. I needed to know more. I don't know if that's how you are, but when I have a question put in front of me, I need answers to it. I can't just let it rest. I think that's why I went to school forever and ever, is that I always wanted to know more. So I want to talk to you today about why I use the King James Version of the Bible exclusively in the uh, English-speaking part of my ministry, which is currently the only part, and why that's all I preach and teach out of, why that's what I study out of. And there's really three different reasons, two of them larger reasons, one of them a smaller reason, why I use it. You'll find that most people don't use the King James Version of the Bible today. If you were to look statistically at churches around the United States and other English-speaking countries, you're probably going to find people using a more uh, modern version where the vernacular is a little more familiar to people. So I know that I am probably in the minority. I also know in my PhD studies, as I was studying, Uh, the New Testament. Uh, My PhD was in biblical studies, my concentration was New Testament, and my area of research was New Testament textual criticism, which is the the study of how we got the New Testament and the different manuscripts, the copies that came down throughout history. And if you enter into that playing field and you are a person that uses the King James Version of the Bible, you are going to be lonely. You're going to be lonely perhaps with the students that are around you, though I did find some that still used it, and you're definitely going to be lonely by the publications that are out there the current journal articles, the conversations that are happening now, have pretty much assumed that they've moved past the King James for different reasons. But I want to encourage you to listen today to these different reasons and then evaluate where you are, because you're going to have to make this decision between accuracy and readability. Accuracy and readability. I remember I was talking with a Chinese man down at the University of Tennessee who became a believer, and he had different Bibles that had been given to him by different groups that had visited his dorm room, and uh, the Mormons came and gave him something, and the, the Jehovah's Witnesses came and gave him something, and we had given him a Bible, and I think he'd picked up one on his own, and he just didn't know which one he was supposed to be in. And he said, what am I supposed to do with all of this? 
And I said, well, you're going to have to choose between accuracy or readability. And the man was a scientist. He was a PhD student at the University of Tennessee, and he was interested in accuracy. And I am too. I am too. So the first reason of the the two major reasons, the first reason is the text that's behind the King James Version of the Bible, specifically with the New Testament, because that's my area of research. Now, we don't have the original documents of the New Testament in our hands. Through time and use, through the, the lands of the Bible, where, of course, it is humid and people are carrying around these parchments and they're using them and reading them and copying them, of course, we don't have them. And you say, I I can't believe we don't have them. Well, you go ahead and just take a piece of paper and leave it in the back seat of your car or your truck for a period of time. Let it get rolled around in there, and you can see just how a week or two is heavy wear and tear on a piece of paper, especially on the materials that they would have had back during that time period. It wouldn't have been like our modern-day paper. They would have been using vellum and parchment. So I want you to think, if we don't have the originals, what do we have? Well, we have copies. We have many copies. In fact, there's so many copies of the New Testament, either as a whole or in part, that it far outweighs any other document, the New Testament, any other document, to come out of the Greco-Roman world. Meaning that if you were to look at uh, the number of copies that we have in the Greek language, you're going to have upwards of around 6,000 different copies of the New Testament, parts or whole, and that number is changing as more are being discovered. And if you were to look at the next largest number of copies for any other document, um, it's going to be about 10 times less, 10 times less than the New Testament. That's a staggering number. The amount of evidence that has been left, textual evidence that has been left for the New Testament is, as one scholar calls it, as one scholar calls it, an embarrassing amount of evidence. So that helps me to have great confidence in what the scriptures say. Here's the issue, though. Not every copy agrees with one another. Some of the copies, uh, they have spelling changes. Words are out of order. Somebody might duplicate a line. Of course, these are written by hand, and maybe you've done that before. You were writing something, and you went and you wrote the same thing over again in another line. Uh, Sometimes people uh, put a word in that they thought was a clearer word or was synonymous. Some people just left a word out. So those are the changes that are very easy to look at and to go back through and say, okay, this is probably what happened when you compare all of these different places where there's differences. Those differences inside of the text are called variants, right? Because there are variations inside of them. So these textual variants, variants in the text, are points of decision. Which one is original. Now, there's a whole conversation as to whether or not we should even be looking for an original, but that is out of the um, context of our discussion today. But if you are looking for the original and you want to know what was actually written by the authors of the New Testament, you're going to have to make some decisions when you come to these points that don't agree. Uh, For some people, they have looked at what is the oldest scriptures, the oldest copies of the scriptures, and they said those must be the best. Other people have looked at which ones are most numerous and have said those must be the best. Other people have had different criteria that they have come up with. But I will say one of the reasons why I have ended up as a King James person is that I have looked at the text that has come down throughout history. It was the text commonly being used by the Greek-speaking people 
It was the text that came back into the West after the fall of Constantinople, the received text. And it was uh, commonly used, and people viewed it as the right text, the right Greek. Because remember, it was written in Greek, not in English. And so our English translation comes from a Greek uh, scripture. Uh, When people looked at it up until the 1800s, that's what they looked at as this is the text of the New Testament. And what happened in the 1800s is some scholars started to do research into other copies, other manuscripts, and they started to think, wait a minute, this is older. The readings are different. These readings are probably better. They use their own human intellect to create criteria to kind of judge on what is the most likely to be the original based on how long it was or how difficult it was, um, you know, to if something looked out of place and you're, you're wondering, well, I can't imagine that someone made that up. So that has to be what the original was. Um, what sounded like the author, for example, Peter had certain words that he would use in his writings and Paul had certain words. And so if a word in one of these spots of variation didn't sound like them, they would say, well, then that's not original. And so you had an entire movement that founded off of that, really the birth of what we think of as modern New Testament textual criticism from that place in the 1800s. And as that progressed, it went through and was affected by German rationalism and the idea of man's intellect over the scriptures and man as being that chief deciding factor. And what it became was just like the study of any other ancient text. It was not approached as though it was God's word or the Bible. It just became anything else. And I believe that when you approach the word of God, you have to approach it differently than any other text. God made certain promises. He made certain promises that he would preserve his word, that it would be available to people throughout time, not just for us today and not just for the people back in the early church in the first and second centuries, that it would exist and endure. And so I look at which text has been in use, and I look at which text has been existent throughout time. You see, the text that is then created by the scholars, beginning in that movement in the 18th century, and and not the 18th century, in the 1800s, then uh, that progressed, and it became further and further, and people became more articulate as to their criteria, and they found increasing numbers of manuscripts, and what they ended up doing was piecing together what they thought was the original writings based on all of their criteria. So, for example, um, if there is a place where we have trouble deciding what the original reading was in one spot in in a book of the New Testament, they would use their criteria to figure out what they thought was most likely to be real. And then they said, okay, we're going to put that in our, our critical version, right? And in, in this edited version of the New Testament. And of course, they would have why they did it and in, in some notes and stuff below. And that's, that's a bit complicated, but we could talk about it. And then they would come to another location there where they had a variant and they'd use their criteria and they'd come down to a conclusion on what they thought that place would be. Remember, the variants are where the copies don't match up. And then they moved to another spot, another spot, and another spot. And they went all the way through all of these different spots. And they came up at the end and they said, okay, this is our best scholarly estimation of what the original text looked like. The problem is, if you look back throughout history, what they've put together has no transmissional history, meaning you cannot find a copy, an existent copy of that text anywhere in history. We don't find it coming throughout history. In fact, what they've done is they have Frankensteined, they have piecemealed together a version calling it the critical text, and uh, it's 
broader and more complicated than that, but just bear with me. It is a critically put together text. It's not just that they're criticizing the Bible. It is done editorially, right? Uh, that's what they mean by critical. And so it's you can't look back throughout history and say, oh, that text actually existed back in the 14th century or in the 8th century or in the 4th century, that specific one, because they've piecemealed the writings from different copies from different time periods, and what they've ended up with, I look back and I say, that doesn't look like God's preserved word. That doesn't look like something that the Lord would do. In fact, if that's the truth, and what we have now is the word of God, and what we had before in the Greek was not the word of God until it was rescued beginning in the 1800s and more or less perfected in the 1900s, then where has God's word been for all of this time? Has God made a promise to us about his word. And if he has, then we have to look back and say, where are the fingerprints of God in the issue of the text? So for me, I come down to this text that was received through the church where the majority of the existing copies, they form consensus. And some people don't like that. They would rather weigh certain copies than count certain copies, believing that some copies are better than others. Uh, But I look at it and I say, where has God preserved his word? And I see his fingerprints on the received text. Now, that is not a popular position in the New Testament textual studies world, but it's one that I've come to. What that means then is modern English versions that come from one of these critically constructed texts, to me, I am suspicious of. Uh, I don't think that they are the most accurate. I don't necessarily believe that they were produced by evil people trying to create some sort of conspiracy to destroy the word of God. I think that they went off track, taking the understanding and the scholarship of man and tried to use that in order to correct the word of God as though it was any other book instead of approaching it as the word of God and looking for the fingerprints of preservation and the hand of God through its historical transmission. So things like the ESV, which has, uh, in my next criteria, or the next point I'm going to go over, it has some good things going for it, but because of the underlying text to it, specifically in the New Testament, um, I, I have trouble using that and feeling comfortable with it. The same thing for the NIV. It uses one of these critically constructed texts, and because it has no transmissional history, we can't find it actually existing anywhere. It's more like it was created in the lab instead of actually being found in the wild, if you want to use that analogy. Uh, I have issues with that. So that's why doctrinally I come to the place where I use the King James because it has that received text as its underlying text. The issue is more complicated than that, and if you're listening to this and you are a textual scholar, you'll probably want to dive into detail and have conversations about things, but this is more for the average person that's wondering why. The second criteria is the method of translation. So the first reason I use the King James is because of the underlying text, specifically in the Greek, because that's my area of study. And the second reason is because of the mode of trans, um, the mode of um, interpretation, right? Translation. So, for example, there are versions of the Bible where they try and stay as true to the words in the Greek or in the Hebrew as possible. They want to, instead of trying to do something creative, they want to try and be faithful to the actual words even if the translation comes out a little bit stilted, even if some of the wording doesn't sound exactly like we speak today, they believe that there is value in the actual words 
that were put down in Scripture. And so they try and stay close to them. Uh, an example of something like this would be the RSV, uh, the, of course, the King James, the, the New King James, uh, I mentioned the ESV. Something that would go way off on this would be the message, where it's almost entirely a paraphrase. Or the NIV, which is very popular. The NIV used a process by which they looked at the phrases and the words and they deconstructed it to its core kernel components, and then they sort of rebuilt it in modern speech. So instead of trying to convey the words that were used, it's more the thought behind the words. What what Paul wrote would have affected a Jewish reader this way and produced this response, so we need to change the words to produce this response in the readers of modern-day times. I find that to be disturbing because I don't necessarily want to know what the um, textual critics or the editor's best understanding of how someone would respond to that then and then how someone would respond to it now. I want to know what it actually says. Listen, if I'm going to base my whole life and more so my eternity on the truth of God's word, I want as little human interaction and as little human uh, interpretation as possible. I want to go back straight to the words of what's said. And the the King James does that for me. As a general rule, they're trying to stay close to the words. Now, you may say that, well, the ESV stays very close to the words. It does. It does. And in that sense, that's a good thing. But it also comes from the wrong text. So it's right in one place and wrong in another one. And so I don't use that. I don't use that. So because of those two major reasons, the underlying text and the way that it was translated, it has led me to be a place in the King James. Now, a third reason that perhaps is um, weaker than the other two as far as in my decision-making is that the English language was at its zenith for its vocabulary during the time that Shakespeare wrote and Elizabethan English was in use and the, uh, the King James was translated and put out. So there was a lot of a, um, the average person's vocabulary was larger than today. There was more tools to use in order to properly convey the truth of Scripture. And so for me, I look at that and I say, that also impacts my thoughts on it. Of course, the the King James has been greatly used throughout history, and I think that um, that has something to say to it. But there were also Bibles in use before it was used. So all of that being said, these are some of the reasons why I use the King James Version of the Bible. So what should that mean for you? I would take a look at the Bible you use, and I would ask yourself, what's more important? Is it about the accuracy? Is it about knowing specifically what God says? Or do you want something that's easier to read? And I get it. If you've not read a bunch of Shakespeare, if you weren't trained in some of the classics, that we read today, the English that is used, the Elizabethan English that is used in the King James, it can be sometimes hard to understand. And sometimes you have to have extra tools that you use in order to understand it. For me, the trade-off is worth it. For me, the trade-off is worth it. I want to know with accuracy what it says. And so I have been willing to put the extra effort and energy into it. And I think that you'll find yourself uh, encouraged to do the same thing and that God will use it in your life. Now again, I am excited about people who love and read the Bible. I enjoy the Bible myself in my own readings, but I've met some people that have a King James Version of the Bible, and it's the only one that they have and the only one that they would use, but they don't ever read it. And they're more excited about the cover than the contents. 
They're more excited about the place that says KJV on the outside of the Bible than they are actually what's going on inside of the Bible. Don't let that be you. I find it to be somewhat hypocritical for somebody when they're sitting in church and the pastor is preaching and talking about the resurrection and the blood of Christ and the, this great hope that we have of heaven in, in the future, the spirit living within us, and that person doesn't even give out so much as a holy grunt. But you start talking about King James or you throw out the date 1611 and people are just swinging off the chandeliers like crazy folks. I think that is backwards. I think we ought to be more excited about the contents than the cover. I only use the King James in my teaching and preaching. I'd recommend you do the same thing if you are in the English-speaking world. But most of all, I recommend that whatever you have in front of you, you are in daily, you are in it prayerfully, and you're asking God to speak to you. May the Lord bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to Changing Lives, Changing Eternities. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to catch our next episode. To hear even more of God's Word, we invite you to join us this Sunday either in person at Columbia Road Baptist Church, North Olmsted, Ohio, or online at columbiaroad.org slash live, YouTube, or through our mobile app. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Remember, let's be more than hearers, let's be doers. Live out the truth of God's Word this week, and you'll change people's lives and their eternities. Until next time, thanks for listening, and may God bless you.